What a great song and what a true song. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Last week, of course, Brother Jeremy preached and he was celebrating his 10th year in the ministry, surrendered to preach, I believe, on the 22nd of July. It's quite interesting. I surrendered to preach on the 24th of July. Both of us surrendered to preach as a result of time spent at church camp. And we look at this passage of scripture and scholars can agree that these are some of the last words the apostle Paul wrote in 2 Timothy. After a long ministry, he came to some conclusions. Uh, After my time here and my time in the ministry, I can come to some of the same conclusions because God hasn't changed in 2000 years. We want to look at these conclusions because they're just as powerful now as they were then. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life which is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, a beloved son, grace and mercy and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, whom I serve with a pure conscience, as my forefathers did, as without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see you, being mindful of your tears, that I may be filled with joy. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois, and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded, is in you also. Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began, but has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, to which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. For this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Let's pray together, please. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these words that are just as true now as when Paul penned them. We need to hear them. Our country needs to hear them. Father, we ask that they would find their way into our hearts Deal with us according to our need today. If we need to be confronted, please do that. If we need to be comforted, please do that. If we need to be challenged, we ask that you would do that. We invite you to change us through your word this morning. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. There's enough truths in these 12 verses that we could be here for several weeks looking at this passage of scripture. I'm going to focus in on the closing phrase 
of verse 12, which serves as a summary of what he had learned in all of his years of ministry. He says this, For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him against that day. The key here is that Paul didn't say, I know what I believe. Paul said, I know who I believe. That makes the difference. And I pray that through the morning, you come to some firm conclusions that you know without a doubt who you believe. You see, it's not a what we believe, it's a relationship with a who. Christianity is a relationship with Christ. But he said, I am persuaded. Now the word persuaded does not mean, well, I believe what people told me about Jesus. The word persuaded means he's convinced. Both of these terms mean that he has been presented the evidence. He had seen what was laid out before him. He had watched what has happened in his life. And the evidence came to the un, unmistakable conclusion. I stand persuaded. The original Greek said, I stand persuaded. What did he stand persuaded? Three words. He is able. God is able. I'm convinced that God is able. Now this word able comes from the same Greek word from which power a lot of times is uh, translated into English. This word is dunamis. It's the word from which we get dynamite. And when dynamite goes off, it's, it's unmistakable. Uh, the dynamite goes off, you know it. Paul said, that's what I'm talking about. That's the power that I'm persuaded that God has. I am persuaded that God is able. Now this word able comes from the word dynamite. Is the same word that Paul used when he said in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 18, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. He's able. I've come to the conclusion. I stand persuaded. I am unshakable. I've seen it. God is able. Well, what, what did he see that God's able to do? First of all, he had seen in his own personal conviction that God is able to love the unlovable. Now, Paul said this in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. We usually look at the first part of that verse. I am crucified with Christ, yet nevertheless I live. But not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who, listen to this, who loved me and gave himself for me. He said mistakably, Christ loved me. Now you might say, well, of course Jesus loved him. Look at him. He's in a jail cell. He's in a jail cell because of his stalwart faith in Christ, his unflinching, his unwavering, dedicated to, uh, to Christ, had landed him in jail, and he was still unshakable with his faith. Who, why couldn't God love him? Oh, that's not the me he's talking about. The me that God loved early on is not the same me that is writing this passage of Scripture. When Paul said he loved me and gave himself for me, he's talking about the me that we meet in Acts chapter 7, if you'll turn back. Acts chapter 7, verse 54. Look at the me 
that God loved. We come in on the story of another dedicated man who is unflinching in his message and his faith for Jesus Christ. His name, of course, was Stephen. And he preached a message to the Sanhedrin. And as he began to preach the reality of Jesus Christ and the deity of Christ and the reality of the resurrection in chapter 7, verse 54, when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, Stephen, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. They cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. This young man named Saul is the same man who wrote the words when he said, he loved me and gave himself for me. Here's the same man. They laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul as they stoned Stephen. Stoning was a horrible, nasty, ugly, brutal execution. Saul helped them. He held their coats. We continue. They stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Look in verse 8 of chapter 8, verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. Saul wasn't just watching. Saul just didn't hold their coats. He was cheering them on. And when you get to understand what they were doing, how horrible of death it is, he said, throw them harder, throw them faster. And he was consenting to his death. And we continue on. At that time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering every house, dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. That's the me that Paul said, he loved me and gave himself for me. That's the me. He made havoc of the church. Now later on, Paul would write, Jesus Christ bought the church with his own blood. The church is precious to the Lord. Saul was trying to kill that which was precious to the Lord. Paul, Saul was trying to stop the message of salvation. Saul was dragging men and women off to prison, making havoc of the church. Well, it doesn't stop there. Chapter 9, verse 1. Then Saul breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. He was a madman. He was consumed. He was just totally, totally consumed with killing Christians. He was breathing out murder. I think the King James says slaughter. He wanted to kill every Christian he could. He wanted to kill every one of them. And he went to the high priest and he asked letters from him 
to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound again to Jerusalem. That's the me that God loved and gave himself for. Turn over to chapter 22, verse 4 and 5. Later, Paul would review what he had done. put the wrong notes down. Let me tell you what Paul said in, in Acts chapter 22, or another way when Acts was, he was talking to the, uh, the, the believers. He said, I, I committed men and women to death and to prison. The me that we were talking about that God loved was this madman, Saul, who asked for letters. And he went and committed men to prison. He breathed out slaughter. He hated what Jesus loved the most. He is able to love the unlovable. When we say unlovable, we mean no man could love Saul. Who could love a man like this? He was a murderer. He was a madman. He was consumed with this. Secondly, God can love the unlovable, and God can reach the unreachable. You see, it was this man that somebody would say, don't waste your time on that man. He's not just indifferent to the gospel. He's totally sold out to destroy the gospel. Don't waste your time. He'll never be reached. Go to someone else. But God's word reached him. Didn't he say a little bit later on, the writer of the book of Hebrews, the word of God is alive or quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, and it reaches down to the very soul and spirit and is the thought and discerner of the intents of what? The heart. I cannot reach the unreachable, but God can reach the unreachable, and God's word can reach the unreachable. And you see, God is able, the apostle Paul said, he's able, and he knew he could love the unlovable, and he knew he could reach the unreachable, therefore he could save the unsavable. We might say, no way somebody like that could be saved who was so far against what Jesus Christ stood for, he was killing the people who preached Jesus Christ. Back in the first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Although I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent man, But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceedingly abundant with faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he said, and I'm chief of them. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners and I am chief of them. Later on, the writer of the book of Hebrews, which could have been most likely the Apostle Paul in 7 verse 25, said he is able to save them to the uttermost. He didn't just kind of save Saul of Tarsus. He saved him to the fullest. You see, God is able 
to love the unlovable. And you might think, how can he love me with what I've done? God loves you. He loved the unlovable. He loved Saul. He is able to reach the unreachable. And he's able to save what we would consider the unsavable. But as we see here, Paul continues on and he says this, However, for this reason I obtain mercy, that in me first Jesus Christ might show all longsuffering as a pattern to those who are going to believe in him on everlasting life. What he's saying is this, if he can save me, he can save you. If he can save me, he can save anyone. You are not out of the reach of God. You are not out of the scope of the love of God. God loves you. And God can save even you. Now when God loved the unlovable, and when God reached the unreachable, and when God saved the unsavable, God stopped the unstoppable. You see, in human terms, we might say, nothing will stop this man. If you pay attention in the book of Acts, he said he asked letters, authorization from the priest in the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. And he would go as far as Damascus and everybody he met who preached Jesus, he was going to arrest them. Now we have to understand, that tells me he had the endorsement of the high priest and they were very powerful in Jewish quarters. Now, he crossed several legal jurisdictions to get to Damascus. Damascus was not even in Israel, it's over in Syria. Which tells me he had the endorsement not only of every regional district judge or whoever was over that. He had the endorsement of greater authorities. He had behind him not only the endorsement of the Jewish nation. He had behind him the endorsement of the Roman Empire. He had the full faith and credit of the Roman Empire behind him. So here he had several jurisdictions that gave him authority. The endorsement of the high priest. Here we had, of course, the full strength of the Roman Empire behind him. And he had popular opinion. Everybody agreed with him. Popular opinion was, these people are nuts. We need to stop these people. It looked like nothing would stop Paul, Saul, from killing the church. It's over. But we realize God stopped the unstoppable. In Acts chapter 5, verse 38, way back early on, Gamaliel gave them some advice. When Paul, when, when Peter and John were, were pulled before the Sanhedrin. And look at the advice that he gave, and those words would ring true years later. Verse 38 of Acts chapter 5. Now I say to you, keep away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan, or if this work is of men, it will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you can't overthrow it, lest you be found to fight against God. What did he say? He said, you can't stop it. Because here's the thing. When God, stopped the, when God stopped the unstoppable, God proved the unstoppable force here is the church. 
the Roman Empire was stopped. Saul was stopped. The high priest was stopped. God wasn't stopped. The work of the church was unstoppable. Later on, they'd go to Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 6, the people of Thessalonica said, These people who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Now, who are these people? They started out with just 120 of them. And then from there, they went to turn the world upside down. In its infancy, the church had the full force of the Roman Empire to snuff it out. God stopped the unstoppable, and then he showed the church is unstoppable. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, he talks about, I'm in chains because of the word of God, but he said this, but the word of God is not bound. They may stop me, but they will not stop the word of God. That's a lesson for us. People get all upset because social media is turned against the church. Popular entertainers make fun of the church. Foul political winds blow against the church. What are we going to do? We're going to continue with the church, work of the church because the church is unstoppable. Major empires have tried to stop the church. Communist empires, Russian communism, China, empires from the last 2,000 years. The most powerful men and, and kingdoms of the world have turned their force to stop the church. Nothing has stopped it. So we understand Paul said he is able. I'm convinced that he is able. He's able to love the unlovable and reach the unreachable and save the unsavable and he'll stop the unstoppable. And he's able, of course, that the church is unstoppable. How unstoppable is the church? Jesus said this, on this rock I build my church. The gates of hell won't stop it. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. All these things the Apostle Paul found out. But that's not exactly what he said, although all these things are true. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep what I've committed unto him. So we go and see what he meant specifically. All these things he was persuaded. He saw the ability of God to do all these things, but he's able to keep. To keep what? There's the turning point. To keep what I have committed to him. You see, he had committed to Jesus Christ his soul. It's quite interesting, this word, I am persuaded that he is able, is used in another passage of scripture. In Romans chapter 8, verse 31, Paul says it this way, What shall we say to these things? If God be for us, who, be, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also is risen, even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am what? Persuaded. I am persuaded, neither death, nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I am persuaded he's able to keep what I've committed to him. And Paul had committed to him his soul, and he was persuaded he'd never be separated from God. Because the word keep here means to guard, to keep safe from harm or loss. And he'd come to the conclusion. He had seen the evidence. He stood convinced and persuaded. God is able to keep what I commit to him. And he knew he had committed his soul to him. What else had he committed to him? He had committed to him his life's work. The work of the church. You see, Apostle Paul knew that his days were numbered. He had invested most of his adult life after God saved the unsavable. Most of his adult life, he had invested in the work of the church. Now he was, he was leaving. What would happen? Would it crumble? What are they going to do without me? How, how's it going to go on? All this work that I've done, it, what's going to happen to it? But Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. So who does that tell me? He committed, he knew the work that he had done, not his work, he was God's work. And God was able to keep what he committed unto him. Now let's look at it on a personal level. Paul had come to the conclusion, I am persuaded God is able to keep what I've committed to him. We ask the question, what have you committed to him? God's able to keep what we commit to him. Have we committed just a little bit to God? And then wonder why the rest of our life is coming unraveled? Have we committed just a little bit to God? Wonder know why God doesn't seem to be present in the rest of what's going on in our life? See, first of all, have you committed your soul in eternity to Christ? Are you safe in him? Have you come to where you know whom you've believed and you've come to the point salvation is not ours? We cannot muster up enough good good things to outweigh our sins and trust in Christ for salvation? Have you come to the point where you say, if I'm going to heaven, if I'm going to live for eternity, it's got to be you, God. I can't do this. Have you committed your soul in eternity to Christ? How about our needs and concerns? Have we committed those to God? Or some of them we just have to hang on to with Maybe God needs a little help with this one, so I'm going to worry about this one for a while. What about our health? There's a lot to worry about. This virus lurking around. God is able to keep what I commit to him. Am I committing my concerns? What about your future? Well, what happens about my job? What happens about my finances? What happens about... God's able to keep what we commit to him. Have you ever prayed, Lord, it's all in your hands. And I'm going to commit these to you. What about the people we love? We care about the people we love. We care about our family. Do we ever stop and pray and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you to care for them. You love them more than I do. And I'm going to commit them to your care. Now, it's not to say everything will turn around just like 
we ask for it too. The Apostle Paul was very honest when he said, we're persecuted, we're cast down. But he said, in all these things, we've never separated from the love of God. God's able to keep what's committed to us. So we close this service asking, are you persuaded that God's able, God's able to do all these things, but especially to keep what you've committed? Now, if I'm really persuaded that God's able to keep what I commit to him, wouldn't it be reasonable to commit everything to him and hold nothing back? I don't know what you may need to be praying about today, what you may need to do, but whatever it is, don't let this moment pass without coming to the same conclusions as Paul. I'm persuaded he's able. He's able to keep what I'm going to give to him. As we stand and sing.